saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. We gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and the Word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our life and the light of all humankind. And this light shines on us as we study a new book. I'm quite excited for this one, First Thessalonians. Paul starts his letter by giving thanks to the Lord for the Thessalonians, not because they're a perfect church, probably not even very big of a church, but because of their faith and their labor of love. And this is significant as we'll dig into the history today because Thessalonica was not what you would say a welcoming city to the message of the gospel. And you can tell that Paul was beyond thankful and excited that the gospel actually had uh, got planted there and it was growing. Maybe this is a good model for all of us. How often do we just give thanks to the Lord because people have faith and people are serving others? As we look at this today, let's dig in for the gifts are ready and ready for you. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUL, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Thy strong word is graciously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by God's word, we have with us Pastor Jacob Heine of Faith Lutheran Church in Topeka, Kansas. Pastor Heine, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thank you, Pastor Fenner. It's good to be back with you. Pastor Heine, we're beginning what is commonly known as Holy Week in the Christian Church. And so I wanted to ask you, what's your favorite part of Holy Week? I can only pick one. Um, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I, I think I really, I love the tradium uh, idea of the service, the, the three days from Monday, Thursday until uh, the Easter vigil, or in some churches it's the sunrise service on Easter. But that idea that uh, we have one service that stretches over the three days. Uh, mm. However many services we have, no matter what it is, uh, we hear that invocation on Monday, Thursday. But we never hear the, the benediction until that last service. And it really pulls us together and reminds us that our life is one of prayer and worship. And that helps us focus because there's kind of that anticipation of, of it's not done yet. It's not over until uh, until Christ's final word for us. And I just, I love that, that concept. It really, it keeps me in tension, but keeps me joyful throughout this whole week. You know, that, that is very helpful. A reminder to our listeners, and we talk about Holy Week, it really has started. I mean, Palm Sunday is really the beginning of Holy Week, and it obviously be, it goes to Good uh, Holy Thursday, it goes to Good Friday, it goes to if you have Easter Vigil. Do you have an Easter Vigil, Pastor? Uh, we don't here, no. Uh, a couple of our sister congregations in Topeka do, uh, mm. but we didn't didn't put one in this year with uh, all the COVID different things. We decided to to keep just our uh, Easter sunrise service, but we're tweaking it a little bit this year to be a little bit more vigil like. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. And then obviously to the culmination, which is Easter morning, Resurrection Sunday, we're able to celebrate what our Lord has conquered, death, the devil, and everything else that we have, knowing our Lord is victorious. And this is what's Holy Week, and what's great about it, like you said so well, growing up, to do the tridium or to go, for me, it was Holy Thursday and and, and Good Friday and Easter morning, uh, sunrise service, is for me, what was great about that was we just we got down with church and we went right home. 
Like there was this like, boom, get out. No worries. I didn't have to wait for my mom to talk to our friends. I didn't have to wait for my dad, who's a pastor, <laughs> to, to get all his stuff done. We were home and we were watching TV within like 10, 15 minutes. Obviously, very holy reasons. But you're right, because it's not just get out of church earlier. Is it, It's a continuation of our time in God's word um, all the way as we celebrate Easter morning. So that, that's very helpful for you, for you to highlight that. Oh, glad to. I, like I said, I think that's what I really look forward to this week. I know it's busy for a lot of us, and this year's different. Hopefully it's better than last year, uh, depending on where all our listeners are listening from. But certainly yeah. the blessing is still there. Absolutely. And and that's where I want to say thank you to personally that you have joined us during Holy Week, which is very busy for you. So thank you again, Pastor Heine, for being our guest. Oh, glad to. Thanks for having me on. All right. As we are about to search the scriptures this morning, Pastor, can you begin us in prayer? Absolutely. Loving, gracious God, on this uh, Holy Tuesday, we're reminded of what you did for us and your time in Jerusalem prior to the, the, the events of the weekend. We know that you taught and you brought your message of both law and gospel to people and a message of looking forward towards the glory that will come on the last day. Help us, Lord, in the midst of these days, that our prayer would be one uh, with John from the book, from Revelation, that we would pray, come Lord Jesus, and come quickly. Uh, send your spirit among us today as we look at your word, that these words of Paul would guide us, would keep us, would help us find joy, even in the midst of trial, like he had. In Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. I like how you focus our attention to the end. Um, and First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians are definitely known as books that do that. They push us forward to realize that there's still more yet to come, that there is a second coming of our Lord. Our Lord came, rise, rose again, and we have the hope that we will rise again, whether in life or in death. And, and this is important for us as we look at First Thessalonians. One of the big things that we try to do when we start a new book which is to kind of break down everything of the who's, what's, where's, when's, and why's, and those kind of things. And I want to start this way, to break it down, um, because we have great opportunity with this book to look at other parts of Scripture to get the full picture. Um, Like when we went through Colossians, we were just left with one side of the story. Uh, And others have that similar situation where you're like, well, we know that there's a church around there, but we don't know much of the story. But in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians and 2, we kind of have the background of this. So I want to read verse 1, Pastor, and then we can dig into the the who's, what's, where's, when's, and all that good stuff. So uh, I'll Mm -hmm. read verse 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, reminder to your listeners, we are reading from the English Standard Version. Paul, Savanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Okay, so clearly we have a little bit of context here. Where do you want to start us when it talks to background? I mean, it seems so simple, right? I mean, there's very few words. It seems pretty straightforward, and yet there's so much packed in here. Uh, you know, the first we get is Sylvanus, uh, which we also know to be Silas. And if, uh, we, if listeners remember or know uh, the book of Acts, Silas came on because there was a dispute between uh, Barnabas and, uh, and Paul, 
back in uh, chapter 15, when Paul was getting ready to leave on this missionary journey. You know, Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark with him. Uh, Paul didn't because of uh, all that was, you know, kind of going on with his fleeing before when when persecution hit. So, you know, Paul and Barnabas part ways and Silas and, and Paul go off on their own. And then they pick up Timothy along the way in, uh, in Derby and Lystra. And, you know, here's Timothy, who's this woman of, of uh, Jewish descent and, or, you know, a convert to, to Judaism and, mm-hmm. how, you know, not too long ago. And so now we've got these two young protégés, you know, Silas and, and Timothy, who we know Paul takes Timothy under his wing and really loves him and cares for him. So even just in that, those, you know, first three words, we get a whole lot of history and background that sometimes we forget is really vital to the story and how this all came about. Absolutely. And, the, and this is important because it brings us to the other context of where they were before this. Now, if my, uh, if my study is correct, they were in Corinth when he wrote this letter. Am I right? Yeah, most scholars believe that Paul was most likely in Corinth by the time he wrote uh, 1 Thessalonians, probably not long after leaving Thessalonica uh, Mm -hmm. during this missionary journey. Some commentators think he may have been in Athens, but the the timing's a little bit quick, and we know that from chapter 18 of Acts, uh, Silas and Timothy catch up with, with Paul in Corinth. So probably bringing word from Macedonia, from the church of uh, Thessalonica about what was going on. And uh, this is his response to it. So probably early 50s. This may be one of the earliest letters we have of Paul's. Yeah, and that's and it's interesting, too, because I was reading that as well, that this is probably the earliest. And it is so quick, so quickly written, it appears, after they had left Thessalonica. Now, Thessalonica is, is a unique thing, unique city. Now, for our listeners, I do encourage you to, when you're going through this, to have a good map. Uh, if you have a Lutheran study Bible, there's a good map in the book of Acts. You can find a map in there. There's a few other maps that are around. They're, I mean, they're all over the place. You could go online and look up Paul's second missionary journey, and you'll be able to find a map of the Mediterranean Sea and everything around, because it is important to be able to see that, because a lot of these cities— that you'll see are not necessarily right next to each other, but also as a visual person, it's always helpful for me to see where this is. It's in the region of, of Macedonia in those days. And it also was a city that was, uh, what, what did they call it? They called it a cross, a cross city where people would travel through as a large trade center uh, for the Roman Empire. So it was a, a main thoroughfare that people kind of drove through. Um, I'm trying to think of a city in America that's like that, where it's a great city to drive through. Um, but that's kind of what Thessalonica was. A lot of lot of people, a lot of culture. As we know, Paul was very comfortable in those kind of settings. He would go into Ephesus and he'd go into Corinth and really had no problem that there weren't all Jewish people there or their different ideas. He just kind of plopped himself down and, and did his thing. But Thessalonica had a little bit different situation once he arrived. Before we get to that, any other um, information about Thessalonica as a city that you found? Uh, it's interesting. It's one of the few cities that's, that Paul visited that's still... Um, in existence. It's still a city that's vibrant and uh, active, where many cities that Paul founded churches now are ruins, or the city has moved farther away from its original center. So it's kind of an interesting uh, situation there, where you could still go visit that place and see a vibrant city today. Um, Possibly, you know, giving witness to Paul's 
you know, God's work through Paul in, in such places. It's a, a city that still exists and still uh, is vibrant in the gospel. Um, I think you covered it well, talking about its its rich history, its crossroads. Um, when you you mentioned a city like that in the states, the first one that came to my mind was St. Louis. I mean, how many people driving from east to west have to cross over the Mississippi River in St. Louis um, and and make that make that journey through? And Thessalonica would hit that sort of idea where there's a lot, it's a melting pot, and there's a lot of different cultures and a lot of different languages and people there. Yeah, that's a good point. I'll have a question for you after our break about St. Louis. So just be ready. Just be ready a little bit there on the <laughs> show. Right. So anyways, um, so what I wanted there. Yeah, that's right. We, we were there at one time um, is I wanted to do this is I will invite our listeners and obviously Pastor Heine for us to get a good context of he wrote this letter and he's writing to, to, to the Thessalonians and it has a unique history. So if you could join me and go to Acts chapter 17, this is, this is why for me, um, First Thessalonians is one of the most fascinating books um, because it is the history does not line up where you would like, wow, listen to this history. Paul went in, everything went great. Everyone listened to him. They bowed at his feet. They gave tons of cash to him. They built this huge church. No, not at all like that at all in Thessalonica. <laughs> but yet we have in the Holy Scriptures a letter to this church, which is probably one of the most ironic things in, in, in Scripture in my mind. But go to Acts chapter 17. And when Paul and Silas end up in Thessalonica. So I'm just going to read this and get your reflections, uh, uh, Pastor Heine. We'll start with verses 1 through 9. Now, when they had passed through Ampapolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city up in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Um, let me f- go through 10, actually. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. All right. So um, they arrive. What happens, Pastor? What do you think? Well, it's interesting because Paul does what he normally does. We saw this in Philippi. Uh, we saw this in, uh, in Lystra as well, in Derby, that he goes to the synagogue. He first goes finds the place where the Jews are meeting and tries to reason with them from Scripture that the Messiah has come. The one they were waiting for um, has arrived, has come, suffered, died, and risen again, and now we have a new life, right? And so he does that, and it says, you know, some of them were persuaded. They joined Paul and Silas. A uh, great many of the devout Greeks heard this, who would have been, and these are Gentiles, so they're, we're not even taught. So obviously Paul doesn't just talk to those in the synagogue, but he talks to those outside of it. Some of the leading women in town, they, uh, 
And we're not sure exactly what that means, but, you know, these are prominent women who must have some influence because they're mentioned here. And yet, you know, we get the jealousy that starts creeping in. Uh, you know, they're pulling, they're pulling away. And what it almost implies, especially when you get to the end, right, they took some money uh, for security, a bribe, as it were. So what is, what's Paul threatening? Um, he's threatening the income of the synagogue. He's threatening the income of the Jewish leaders of the, the uh, higher ups. And when that happens, they, you know, they, they get upset and they form a mob. They're going to run him out of town. They're going to kill him. And so they send him on to Berea. And unfortunately, what we find there, if we read farther, is that these same people heard what was happening there. They followed him to Berea and started the same thing up. So he, Paul had to, to leave Berea again, even after after that and head on into Athens and into Greece. Right. It's just fascinating because this story does not lead us to say, wow, we will probably have a, a letter to the Thessalonians to Holy Scripture later on in the story. I mean, if you go down it, you would expect, because the Bereans were the ones who searched the Scriptures. One of my favorite part of, of the book of Acts mm. is it talks about how they were more noble than the Thessalonians, and they received it with eagerness, and they searched, searched the Scriptures to make sure this message was true. They didn't get upset. They weren't getting jealous. They didn't try to figure out how they're going to make sure they make money. Um, they, they believed it, and they searched, and they looked, and they inwardly digested the Word of God. So in my mind, if you were to just look at the story, you would think there'd be a letter to the Bereans giving thanks for them. But there isn't. What we have is a letter to the Thessalonians of all places. So I think this is good background for us as we hear Paul's words today about how he gives thanks about the Thessalonians. Because it's, I think it's a little bit different than the, than the rest of the epistles in this sense. He gives thanks for faith in other cities, but his experience must have led him to be even more joyous because of the history that's there. Any other thoughts about the history, the, the Acts chapter 17 um, uh, background of Thessalonica? Yeah, I, I think the other thing to note here, so we understand, is that Paul left behind, when he leaves Berea, he went basically on his own. He left behind Silas and Timothy. And right. so, but when he, he gets to Athens, he's, he sends word with, you know, those who took him and said, you know, send them back to me as soon as you can. And eventually they do catch up with them in Corinth. And it seems that Timothy and, and Silas must have spent some time going back and forth between Berea and Thessalonica, because right. the word that comes is, then we get the letter to the Thessalonians. Thessalonians. So there must have been some sort of interaction where Paul or where Silas and Timothy stayed behind and worked with them and, and helped them and brought, you know, some questions back some maybe basic questions or some questions that Paul at some point goes, well, I really don't want to deal with this, but since you asked, I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting because some of, some of that we just don't know. I had heard, uh, I read a few things that talked about how Timothy had come and went to Corinth and told him all these things. I don't know if we quite have that in the text. I would have to do a little more study on that end of it. But it, it is it is very interesting to see how it came to be. And um, at the same time, as we hear Paul's words, he he's kind of gone through the ringer. You know, he's gone to Berea, got kicked out, went to Athens. Um, you know, they were very religious, as he says, <laughs> and, and and but they didn't really believe in anything. But yet they believed in something much like America nowadays. And then he goes into Corinth and then he writes this letter. So the context is very key. And this is why it's important for us to know the whole breadth of Scripture, which is a daunting task. We give thanks that he's given us what we can. So let's take 
dig into the text and we see, let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 as we hear Paul's words of thanksgiving. Let's go to verses 2 and 3 and we hear from Paul. Paul writes, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God our Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, oh, excuse me, I'm going to stop there. Okay, so he gives thanks. What does he give thanks for? You know, it's interesting. Is he giving thanks because of the report that Timothy brings? um, Or is he giving thanks that he had the opportunity to be there? Um, It it seems like he's kind of reflecting back on his time with them. You know, he's giving thanks, constantly mentioning you in prayer, remembering before our God, you know, and he brings up these themes that he's going to bring up to the Corinthians too, right? Faith, hope, and love. And it almost seems like he, you know, you've got two things going on. We're saying, you know, we're praying for you that you would hold fast in your faith, that you would, you know, labor together in love, that you would have the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now we're also giving thanks because the report that comes to us says, not only did you do that, but you, you, you were strengthened in it and you grew through it. And so there, you know, as we read the gospel or we read the letter here, what we're going to see is the gospel took hold and grew in Thessalonia, Thessalonica, be among the Thessalonians. Try, mm-hmm. try and get all these words in there. Um, <laughs> and, and what Paul is really rejoicing in here is that joy and that, that knowledge that God, that the word stuck, the word took hold and that others couldn't push it out. And why is this a, this is important, I think, especially for Holy Week, is why is this, to me, this is a very encouraging um, reality that that the pastor went in and got kicked out basically and and uh, and then goes away and then finds out that a church uh, started and grew and the word is there why is that so important for us as Christians to know nowadays or any days but really nowadays about how God works because it's not us you know so often we think it is you know yeah, right. we've got to have the right we've got to have the right words we've got to have the right attitude we've got to do all the right programs and the right things and then uh you know there are times and i'm sure other pastors out there can attest to you know thinking you were eloquent in a sermon or you did ever you know all the programming right and it comes back and and you wonder if anybody heard anything you even said um, or, you know, the opposite. I know I've had a few times where I've walked out after a sermon or after something, a Bible study, and thought, did I, what the heck was that? That was a mess. And you go, if anybody got anything out of that, I'd be as shocked. And, you know, the first person out the door says, you know, oh, I never thought of it that way. And you're, what? You know, it's the reminder it's not us. It is truly the Holy Spirit working, and uh, we are just mere vessels. Um, you know, we, we're just here to, to bring the word and, and to, point people to Jesus and let God take care of the rest and not to worry about whether we had it all right or we said the exact right thing or did the right program. God's going to take care of it and we can just fall on his throne of grace. And that goes with those who don't believe, you know, the people that we spend the time with, that we love and care for, and for whatever reason they walk away, that we have to put both of those things at the feet of Christ and say, like you said, the mm-hmm. throne of grace, because the throne of grace, that if it, if it works, well, thanks be to God. If it doesn't work, we ask the Lord to fill us with his mercy, because um, we can so easily start taking the, taking, the, um, taking the credit, which is dangerous, and then we also take all the blame, which is probably just as dangerous on the other side. 
Um, mm. Okay, so I wanted to ask this. I want to take one step back. Is you've talked about this a little bit with me? Is okay. So why is he writing this? We get a little bit of a, a Thanksgiving, which I would probably say there's a encouragement that he wants to restore the relationship with them. But did you find anything about why did he write this? It seems so quick after he had left and and the situation. Did you find anything on that? Yeah, I think there's there's an interesting thing going on here. So he he had success obviously on his journey, right? He's he got to Philippi, well, you know, Leicester and Derby. He he he's got the, the situation with Lydia and how the church starts there. And this wonderful, it's like a success story. He had great success and he's feeling good about himself. He gets to Philippi and things are going really well. Um, yeah. He gets thrown in prison there, but there's this amazing incident, right? Where the earthquake happens, they're singing and they're praising God and, and the jailer, you know, thinks everybody's busted out. And Paul, you know, yells from the back. He's like, Nope, we're all still, you can chill out. And, uh, the guy wants to get baptized, right? And, and the church is doing great things. He gets to Thessalonica, and something good is starting to happen, but then he gets run out, and he, he's, you know, being chased. He gets to Berea. Some good things happen. These are Jews who search the Scriptures, and there's, and but then he gets chased out again, and you can almost see him starting to get a little deflated, a little dejected. He gets to Athens, and, you know, we have this perceived failure on his part. He goes amongst the Aragopagus and he sees all the different things. And, you know, he, he tries to reason with them. Yeah. I see you've got, you know, you're very religious people. You're very spiritual. Uh, you even have a, uh, a monument to the unknown God. Let me tell you about that God. And he proclaims the gospel and it says, well, now a few people converted, right? He spent time <laughs> there and energy there. And you can almost see, you know, you, that, that thought of like, what am I doing? Right. I mean, I started off really well, but things have gone downhill fast. He gets to Corinth, and uh, there's a section in Second Corinthians where he says, "You know, I came to you and and you know pain and, and hurt and dejection. You know, that's a paraphrase kind of, uh, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, I, I was down and out." He says, and you know, this this message comes from Timothy and Silas that hey, the work you did, the, what God did through you in Thessalonica, took hold. You know, there is you know, don't be dejected, don't be downcast because there what you did and what God did through you mattered, even if you weren't there to see it. And, and we've, we, we can bring word that God has done something great amongst the people there. Well, and, and this, and this is, this is an important, because Paul is a real person, you know, I mean, Paul's not like this yeah. uh, holier than thou. I mean, he, he struggled like we struggle on his travels. He had, he had joys, he had problems, he had issues, he had sin. You know, why do I do the sin? I do not want to do. Oh Lord, have mercy upon me, basically is what he writes. And, 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 and for us to be able to understand the real Paul, the pastoral Paul, he's writing this in a context of understanding that he loves these people, but he also is uh, is one that um, uh, just needs a good story. He needs a good story to encourage him, and he clearly has received that. But right now, we need to take our break. On the other end, we'll be able to see some foundational realities of who we are in Christ and why this is important, whether we're in Thessalonica or in Topeka or in Sartell or around the United States. But we'll be right back. We're studying First Thessalonians chapter 1 with Pastor Jacob Heine, and we'll be right back.
Tuesday on Issues Etc., we'll continue our Responding to Roman Catholic Proof Text series, talking with Dr. Stephen Parks about the authoritative, unwritten oral tradition of Roman Catholicism. And we'll have Pastor Tom Baker lead us in a Sunday school lesson on Elijah taken to heaven in 2 Kings chapter 2. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. This week on Joy, my song is love unknown, my Savior's love to me. This is Ron Clem. It's Holy Week. Be sure to join me Maundy Thursday and Good Friday at a special time for some incredibly moving and meaningful music on Joy. Joy, Maundy Thursday at 1 and 6 p.m. and Good Friday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. on KFUO. Welcome back. We're studying 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 with Pastor Jacob Heine and starting off on the right foot as we get a lot of information about the past of the Thessalonians. We get the past of Paul and they come together much like our own churches. We gather together as sinners redeemed by our Lord Jesus and we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And that bears fruit. Whether we see it or whether it happens later, it is all in God's hand by the power of his Holy Spirit. Spirit. And today we look at our uh, the verse, first chapter of First Thessalonians, and we have laid the groundwork as we get to verse 4. Before we do that, Pastor Heine, do you have any last words in the first few verses that we've covered? I mean, I'm uh, intrigued by Paul's uh, use of faith, hope, and love that he brings in here. Um, you can mm-hmm. almost kind of see him formulating what is going to be his letter to the Corinthians, I think, in some ways, or at least maybe some foundational pieces of his his theology. I would love to take some time to dig deeper into that in my own study, because I hadn't really thought about it when I have read this multiple times before, but for whatever reason, it stuck out. that He once again here is grouping together these three important words and ideas for us. And we know that, you know, love is, is the best and the most important mm-hmm. of them. And, and, and I would love to do a study on that someday. So maybe I'll come back and do that. Oh, well, you know, one of the things I try to do and haven't got anyone to bite on this so far is that if you want to do a study on anything that we're studying, um, I don't, you remember this, Dr. Gibbs would do this in class. You ask him a question. Remember in Greek class, you would ask him a question and he would, you would say, well, what about this? And he would go, yeah, I don't know. Do a two page paper on that and have it to me by tomorrow. Remember you to do that to us? Oh, yeah. I called him once after I got out asking him a question. He said, that sounds like a great doctoral thesis. So, you know. <laughs> so in, but if, for, for our listeners, if you want to do a paper on faith, hope and love and the book of that first Thessalonians, uh, send it to Faith Lutheran Church in Topeka, Kansas, and he will enjoy that. Anyways, next time you're on, maybe someone will have it. Anyways, we'll That'd continue on here. <laughs> we continue on in verses four and five as we really... He begins with thanksgiving, hope, and love. 
And now he lays a groundwork, really, of almost proclaiming this is how this has worked. This is how uh, God has bore fruit in this city. And this is a hope for us on how he'll bear fruit where you are and through you, of course, by his word. Verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Now, I can't help but think about this being the heart of who we are as Christians, because he says, for we know, he's just reaffirming, it's almost like he's um, bringing a creed or a very basic, he's like singing Jesus loves me to, to people. Remember, this is the truth. Brothers loved by God that he has chosen you. Right there, he lays a groundwork. Why are these words so important? And what, what is Paul telling us and why are they so important, Pastor? Well, it's a reminder of who we are. You know, so often that this question, I think it comes up even more and more in our society today, this idea of identity. I mean, we have so many questions about identity, who we are and what that means for us. And then you even get into identity disorders and all sorts of things that that are just permeating our culture right now and that question. And Paul here is grounding us in that identity. Who are we? We are chosen by God. Um, You know, in baptism, God has chosen you. You are a baptized child of God. And that's where our identity begins. And when we understand that, we understand who we are and knowing who we are, then those other questions are much easier to tackle. But when we try and come at all those other identity questions outside of that um, or before that, that's where it gets mucky because then we're trying to add Jesus on top of, and we're trying to add God's word on top of this and reconcile, you know, my identity or my lifestyle or my thoughts or whatever to God's word instead of the other way around. And, you know, here Paul is doing, doing that same thing with the church of Thessalonica. We know who you are. You know who you are. Um, You are a baptized chosen child of God. And that, is what the foundation is. And when you've got that foundation, then we can talk about all the other things that are difficult. And this is all over the place when you look at Paul's letters. Um, Colossians 3, therefore, as God's chosen people, we see it in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Um, and this was a theme, I believe it was 2007 National Youth Gathering. Were you at that youth gathering? The theme of it was yes. chosen. That's correct. Yes, I was. Yeah. So first it was first Peter chapter two. And the whole time it was wonderful because they gave these gave the Bibles out and and it had all these biblical words all over the place on the front of this Bible and right in the middle. Very clear. The rest of them were kind of small, maybe not as easily to see, but the right in the middle it had chosen which really brought this understanding of all of Scripture, all these theological terms, it all boils down to this, God's action in Christ choosing us. Do you remember that? Remember the Bibles? Oh, yeah. I think it's still on my shelf behind me. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I've got a whole collection of youth gathering Bibles over there. And I'm, yep, I can see it right now as I look at it. 
And I'll never forget yeah. uh, Dr. Reed Lessing preaching at that gathering, and he pulled off of uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter uh, 7, verses 6 and 7, where he reminded us that you are God's treasured possession, and that, you know, the word segula there, you are his treasured possession, and the treasured possession is not valuable because um, it is it's, it's valuable to the person, but it, it's valuable because someone has chosen it. And that's mm-hmm. what makes it valuable. And you are important. You are valuable to God because God has chosen you. Um, and, and the beautiful imagery of that. Yeah, throughout the whole time, it was it was a wonderful reality of uh, uh, being chosen in a choosing world. You know, because I can go to this McDonald's or I can go to McDonald's or I can go to this restaurant and go there, whatever is according to my liking. Well, that's fine for food. But when people start treating us that way, why choose you because of, you know, you do this for me or you do this for me? That's kind of how we operate in everything in life, that there's a kind of a contingency plan with our relationship with people. But our relationship with God is, as it says, um, loved by God that he has chosen you. Because of our gospel, gospel meaning good news, which is obviously the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has died and risen um, from the grave, that he has chosen you. You know, he he didn't choose you because of, you know, you have a better value meal than the other places. No, it's because of his love for his people. Any other thoughts on chosen? I could go on a long time about chosen, but I just think that <laughs> yeah, you nail it really well. That idea that, you know, you're worth something because you're valuable to somebody else, you know, and you're valuable to God. Um, it's not because of what you can give to God or what you can do for God. You know, I, that Luther's words, right? You're, you know, the church doesn't need your good works. God doesn't need your good works or God doesn't need your works, but your church does your, your neighbor does, mm-hmm. um, you know, God, God gave you those works to do. Um, you're not doing them to prove anything to him or get anything from him. He already loves you. He has already chosen you. Um, and that, um, I think, in this world, especially today, is one that so many of us need to hear and um, just be bathed in your identity as a baptized child of God matters. And this is where, and I have said it before, that this the hymn, Jesus Loves Me, it, 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 you always come back to that. We had Confirmation Sunday um, on Palm Sunday, and, and one, of the, one of the great things that we ended up doing was singing Jesus Loves Me at the very end. You know, because the young people confess all these things. You know, will you will you stay in this faith even to the point of death? And I mean, that can be terrifying if you actually think about it. Um, it can be terrifying what you're you're professing about God, saying this is the only God and He's a triune God, and we don't fully understand how this Trinity thing works. We have the Athanasian Creed. It'd be so confusing when it comes down to this basic understanding of Jesus loves me. This I know. Why? Um, because the Bible tells me so, but obviously we see it in Jesus. He has chosen you. I, I just always go back to that, and I think it's an important. And that's why I love how he puts it right in the middle of chapter 1, um, much like that Bible, right in the middle to remind us of whose we are. Let's move on mm-hmm. to, in verse 5, it says, Okay, our gospel came to you, gospel of Christ, but also in power in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. I was trying to research this a little bit. Any thoughts on those words of full conviction? Um, uh, I, I was trying to unpack that a little bit because it, it get mixed up. Any any thoughts on that? You know, that is a great question. I wish I would have done a little bit more work to look into. Um, <laughs> but I, I think as you look at this, and maybe the the uh, the beauty of this might be connected 
even more so with what he says after this, especially in verse six, when he talks about being imitators. Okay. Um, there you go. And, and maybe there's a connection there that we, you know, we can pick up on or, or look into. And if our readers want to do another paper, I would love to hear that one too. There it is. There it is. Good, good segue. Um, anything else in verse five, anything else in verse five that you've been studying? Um, I, I love this. He kind of dangles it here uh, because our gospel came to you not only in word, right? Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't just lip service is what he's saying here. You know, it wasn't just you know, us telling you what to do, but as we'll see through the rest of this uh, epistle, he talks about walking the walk, right? Your, your words matter, but they only but they don't carry as much weight if you don't have the words attached to it or the actions attached to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is an idea that James, you know, will get at in his epistle too. You know, the faith without works is dead. Yes, faith matters, but it leads us to what we do. And so, you know, he, he's kind of dangling that there and, and teasing it. We can't, the gospel came to you not just in words. It, it came to you in other ways, too, through the power of the Holy Spirit and conviction. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? And then he's going to tell us what that looks like. Absolutely. And that's an important piece there, too, that in the Holy Spirit, too easily we can start looking at, the go, looking at this and go, well, I did it. I did this. But a reminder of the Holy Spirit working through us with it fixing our eyes on Jesus and also working through us in our lives. So let's move on. As you said, help us give context to the full conviction and, and the kind of not only in word, but also as we would see in deed. Verses six through eight, six or eight. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So you become an example, became an example to all believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Okay. So where do you want to start with these verses? Well, I think we need to start right at the beginning with this idea of imitators. And what does it mean to be an imitator? Um, The idea here is one who mimics someone else, right? Someone who imitates or does what someone else does. And Paul's going to use this language and this idea in other places and other epistles as well, where he talks about, you know, being an imitator of Christ, being an imitator of me because I'm an imitator of Christ. You know, we look at those who lead us. We look at those, you know, who have been our pastors, our DCEs, our teachers teachers. And we say, you know, how have they lived their life? I want to live like that. And he's going to talk about this later. He brings it up in chapter two, verse 14. He talks about being imitators. Um, he, in chapter two, verse 12, he talks about walking, you know, the walk, the peripateto, the, the walking of this walk. What does it look mm-hmm. like? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, this is an important concept, right? You became imitators of us as we are imitators of the Lord. You know, we had a lot of affliction and kept our faith. You had a lot of affliction and kept your faith. And now that's being shown and people are hearing about this and learning about seeing this, not just in your own city, but throughout the entire region of Macedonia and Achaia uh, or Greece, um, what would be modern day Greece. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's quite humbling. I want to start with that is that obviously 
the message didn't just stay in Thessalonica, that it went beyond Macedonia, which is the region that they were in, and then even down to Greece, which probably wasn't too far away from where Paul and, and uh, where he was in Corinth, uh, that, that this grew way beyond us. And I think about this, too, in the church is that sometimes it can be very frustrating because I've had this a number of times. I do a wedding of a couple, and they're kind of getting involved in church. All of a sudden, they move to Texas. For some reason, they all want to move to Texas. So, you know, well, I guess January. We know why they want to go there in January up here. But, but the, they Especially leave. Minnesota, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And, and they leave, and we lose a perspective that um, we want to kind of withhold it to ourselves. We want to keep these people with us. So for whatever reason, you know, they're, they're good people. We want numbers, whatever it might be. But that the, the word goes out beyond us, even if it doesn't seem like it's working. Do you have any reflections on that as Paul talks about how the word grew even beyond Thessal- Thessalonica? Yeah. I, uh, you, you hit that well with that idea of, you know, the people that leave and you wonder, you know, did – what you did, the work you did, did it matter, right? Did it stick? Did it have any influence? Um, and I don't remember who I heard this from, but, you know, I said, imagine, you know, someday in, in the kingdom of God and, you know, in the resurrection, you're going to meet people that were, became Christian or their faith was deepened because of the work you did with somebody else, right? That they're, mm. that what you did with somebody is going to, you know, affect somebody else is going to affect somebody else. And you, you won't even know that, like, you don't know how God is going to use the words or the actions of the things you do. And so that's why it's important to keep perspective that, you know, your work, that what you do sometimes seems small and insignificant, but it matters to somebody. And your witness of, of your life that you live and the things you say have, you know, God can use for great power. And so sometimes that can be fearful, right? We can get really scared by that. But I think it's very empowering to say, God, God's going to work. God's going to, his word never returns void. So you have that gift of the spirit that will drive you out to proclaim the message in the gospel. And, you know, that question of like, well, how are you known? Um, kind of gets back to this and this idea of identity. Who are you? Well, as a mm. baptized child of God, chosen by God, you have the, the spirit, you have the words, you are able to speak, and God will use those words and, and that that message. I want to take one step back to a verse six, and we talked. You touched on it a little bit. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. Clearly, this goes back to um, have this mind of Christ in Philippians chapter two, you know, um, that that he became nothing, you know, that uh, he did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. And and talk about. But see, I understand that. OK, follow Christ, focus on Christ. But then it says be imitators of us. Talking about Paul, Silas, Timothy. Uh, he says this in other epistles as well. And, and there's a part where I get I get uncomfortable with that. But at the same time, I realize that there are things I saw fellow Christians do that I need to be doing. Any reflections on that that you see in the church or maybe in your own life about, okay, be imitators of that? What are some examples you've seen? Yeah, I think that it's great when we start looking at, you know, leaders in our church, maybe not even called leaders, but any leader in the church and how they live their life, because it 
because in those moments you think about you know, the things you want to be. So uh, here at Faith, we have a, a longtime um, member of ours who's retiring. Um, he's been serving for, for a number of years, and he serves in such a humble and quiet way. And we, we had a retirement party for him uh, last week. And I, I looked at him and said, you know, oftentimes in our lives, we, we look at people who have gifts and abilities from God that we wish we had in ourselves. And mm-hmm. so when I, you know, I look at you, you know, I see wisdom and I, I see a calm spirit that sometimes I wish I had. And so, you know, his role in, in faith, what God has given to him is something that I look at and say, you know, that's something that I would like to have. And so I can strive and work to acquire those abilities and those skills and those things, because I see it play out in somebody else's life that God has given them this wonderful ability, these wonderful gifts or this wonderful knowledge. Um, And I think in some ways, you know, to, to kind of further that idea is also the study the Senate did in the last couple of years through the youth ministry office asking, you know, what is the number one influencer of our youth staying in worship and staying involved? And that's our parents. Um, you know, mm-hmm. your teachers, your DCs, your pastors have a little bit, but the faith of the parents is what gets handed down. And so parents who are very active and involved and, and, at worship and in Bible study and doing all those things, you see that play out in the life of their children. The the parents who are disengaged, who aren't involved, um, who come only to bring their kid to the confirmation class, but don't do anything. Those are the kids that we also see follow that same pattern. They imitate their parents. They mimic their parents. And so how we live out our faith matters because it makes a difference to those around us. And that's so true when you when you walk around the church. I know in our congregation we have at least five. I have to do that. I have this is my paper. I need to do is to study how many people have been married for more than fifty years. How many couples in our congregation? And it's at least six or seven couples that have gone over fifty. At least two or over sixty years um, in mm-hmm. our congregation. And and that's just an example there of because uh, I've had a number of them come to confirmation class. And I was like, how old were you? We got married. Oh, I was 18. He was 20. And, uh, you know, we got, we got married and we're still married. And there was no like, oh, it's awful. It's terrible. It, it said with such joy that if you watch a normal movie or TV show, it, it's not really presented that way. Marriage is never presented that way. And so there's imitators like that to get married and to, to love your spouse and, and simple. And, and it says in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, to aspire to live quietly, which reminded me of the, the man that you mentioned, is that throughout our whole church, and I challenge our listeners to look around a little bit on church on Sunday, obviously not to, to judge, but to pray, but also to think, who are the people that have influenced me in this church and maybe the churches prior and what really stuck out for you and how they um, and you want to imitate them in your daily walk with our Lord Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. any, any last thoughts there in those verses? Well, I think the interesting thing is they're not just known individually, but they're known as a church you know, as the body of Christ, right? So it's not just me and and God, it's the body. You know, how, and, you know, I ask this question a lot, especially as I'm starting, you know, six, eight months here at Faith, you know, how are we known? How is the church, our body of Christ, this congregation known in the community? Um, If you're in Topeka and you're listening, you know probably Faith is known as the church with the beautiful stained glass windows. 
And I said, that's mm-hmm. great, but I want us to also be known as the people who love and serve God, the beautiful people with the beautiful windows who love and serve God and serve their community, right? Because that's what we're called to be. And so here, Paul's not just reminding us of our individual faith, but he's reminding us of our corporate identity as God's people, as the church. And what is the church supposed to do? Um, you know, share the gospel love your neighbor, uh, worship the Lord, all those things that go into it. And that corporate identity is important too. And that's also, that's what's being known throughout the region. Um, Not necessarily the individual actions and faith of the people, but the corporateness of the church and the body of Christ. As it says in verse 7, so you became example to all believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. And like you said so well, is that it's not one person from the Thessalonians. He doesn't say, oh, by the way, you know, Joe, he was really good. Everyone knows Joe. No, it was your congregation is an example to all believers, not just a few people, but all believers in that whole region, which, by the way, is not a small region. So God has been at work very quickly and in powerful ways to this point. Pastor, we have about five minutes left, so let's finish these last two verses, and let's date and get the final thoughts on our text today. Verses 9 and 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for the Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So he continues in verse 9 about uh, the report that he's received, that the kind of reception was there, and they turned to God. And this obviously goes back to Acts chapter 17. Thoughts on those words? I think that the wonderful image there that he gives us, you know, that, that turning, that, you know, it's a repenting sort of thing that you turned away from a false life, a false God, um, and came and served the, the living and true God. And you know, some scholars want to split hairs here. Jesus, you know, we know Paul preached the synagogues for three uh, consecutive Sabbaths there in uh, Thessalonica. But he, you know, if you're denying Christ, you have a false god, right? You have an antichrist. But he also has the converts of the Greeks. So it's kind of a lumping together of all that, saying those who, you know, either side you're on, you all turn to the living God here. Right, right. And, and, and what surrounded them was not a, uh, a welcoming reception. I mean, this was not like the retirement reception you had for your worker there. I mean, this was a, we don't want anything to do with you. And despite that, because think about how influenced we are by our friends. I want to do what my friends are doing. And I'm finding this is even true as you get older. I thought maybe I'll be done with it after high school. But it even happens beyond that. You start thinking about what other people are doing. I want to do that. But for them, they didn't follow the crowd and throw Jason under the bus and give bribes and do all these things. No, they dropped their idols, whatever that might be, whatever the the people were getting jealous over, and they served the living and true God. And now they wait. It speaks about waiting here in verse 10. What are they waiting for? What is he speaking of? Yeah, he's he's teasing here, I think, in some ways, what's going to come later in the letter uh, when he talks about the return of Christ and uh the, the last day and what that's going to look like, because there seems to have been some issues or some concern in Thessalonia. Like what's going to happen to people who die now before Jesus returns? And remember, yeah. at that time, they really had this, this belief Christ was coming. He was going to come at any moment, and we needed to, to get the gospel out. We probably need to recapture some of that, um, mm-hmm. that 
enthusiasm and that desire to proclaim the gospel that Jesus is coming back. We may not know the day or the hour, but it could be today. And we want all to, to know this. And so he's kind of teasing it. Like we're, you're waiting, uh, you're waiting for Christ to come back. He is the one who ra- was raised from the dead. The Easter message, he delivers us by the cross from the wrath that's to come. Um, and we're waiting. It's going to happen. It's going to come for Paul, especially very early on. He thought he was going to see that day before his death. I mean, he was very certain of that. It wasn't maybe until later where he says, well, it may not happen before I die, but whether I live or die, I'm with Christ. So it's okay. Um, You know, but here he certainly has that anticipation. It's coming and it's coming soon. And that points us to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where he digs even more into what's going to happen when Christ does return. Now, Pastor, this is really the end of our time. How would you sum up this chapter for us today? In about a minute. I would, in about a minute, I would say that yeah. the sum this up would be Paul and his joy at what he has learned from the church in Thessalonica. And he's over overflowing with uh, gratitude to God for what he has done and what he continues to do in his church. And may we have the same in our own congregations. Pastor Jacob Heine of Faith Lutheran Church in Topeka, Kansas, giving us Jesus today from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Pastor Heine, thank you for being our guest. Thank you, Pastor Finner. It's great to be on and a blessed Holy Week and Easter for you and your family. Same, same to you. Thank you, brother. Saints of our Lord, you are loved by God. You are chosen by him. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would give us full conviction of the truth of this gospel. And this reminds us of this Holy Week. I ask that you would go to worship. You'd be with the saints and be encouraged by them as the gifts are ready for you. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for being our guest. And the Lord bless your Holy Week and keep you safe in the palm of his hands.